0: This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast.
1: Okay, welcome back to Sportsbook. We've been talking NFL for the past few weeks with a couple quick digressions. I'm delighted to get back to football. As our loyal listeners know, I love having in authors of new books on sports, especially when it takes into account the leadership aspect, the business aspect. And this next guest, his new book sure does. It's Michael Lombardi, author of Gridiron Genius. Hi, Michael.
0: Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. I appreciate oh, my it. my
1: pleasure. Uh, we on the podcast all the time end up talking – an inordinate amount about the Patriots because I'm a Patriots fan. All don't my coworkers don't hate it. Don't apologize. It's okay. I mean, it's you know, all New just, Yorkers here.
0: They're just they're just haters. They're just jealous, right,
1: you know. Right. And uh, you know we were lucky enough recently to have a, a former Pats player, Martellus Bennett, who won a Super Bowl with the Pats. Recently retired, he's been very outspoken since leaving the league. And we hit a lot of topics. One of them was what it's like to play in New England. There's been some controversy about that. Uh, there was one guy who said it's, it's not fun to play there. Uh, you know, some guys don't have as much sympathy for that complaint. That, that
0: but one player, he's one in five. Well, ask him how right. much fun he's having right now.
1: Well, there you go. Yeah. And I think he's with... San Francisco. Play- okay, there you go. Cassius Marsh. Right, Cassius Marsh, that's the name. But, you know, Bennett said that he didn't feel that way, A, but also, B, he felt like it was the best-run organization he's played for. He said it's run like a company. Right. almost like you're an employee. He said it was the only team and he's played for a few teams where he showed up day one and they handed him a booklet, like a manual. And it's like being an employee at a company. I don't know if that's
0: still the case or if that. No, wasn't. that's it. That is the case. That's the way it should be. Right. Mm. I mean, you are an employee. We're all employees. I mean, there's one owner and then there's employees. Right. So uh, you, you have to you're educated on how to behave as the patriot. You're educated on how to be a patriot. You're educated on what's expected of you. How do you perform at your job if you don't know what your job is or what you're supposed to do? And Belichick's details cover all that. He talks to the players about how to handle the media. He talks to the players about what's expected. He coaches them. He's not afraid of confrontation. Where he's not afraid to say, "You're not doing this well. We got to do something else here." You know. And so there's nothing left to chance. There's 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 really, you know, they've won. They've been in seven conference championship games in a row. It's it's a better streak than Dimaggio's fifty-six game hitting streak. Nobody talks about it, right? But there's a reason why they're there. They're so much better than everybody else in the details, in the organization. You've been a front
1: office executive for a number of teams. It sounds like the Patriot way is a real thing. It's not just talk. You know, it, it's it's an actual philosophy. Are there any other teams that come close in terms of even maybe it's not the same feel, but having a distinct feel a way that the team is run and it's a direct result, you know, from the from the top to the bottom of the organization? Well,
0: I think the Steelers have always been that because of the because of the way the Roonies have set up their organization. And so they, they have a culture. Now, sometimes it gets screwed up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it right. messes up. But they have a c- culture of maintaining success uh, and sustainable success. I think Seattle's always had that. Unfortunately, with Paul Allen, we lost him this week. But he's yep. allowed Pete Carroll to do that. So that's always been a way. But Oftentimes, it's, you know, like Bill Walsh told me, there's only eight teams we're competing against, and that's always been the case, and so it goes up and down. I think Jacksonville has a better understanding of how to run a front office now that they hired Tom Coughlin, they Mm. brought him in, and they can build a program that way. Baltimore has always had it. They've had those ups and downs. But for the most part, you, you know in the league, and the Patriots dominate because they understand what they have to do week in and week out, and they adjust and make their plan accordingly. And so that's why they win. So you fall on the side
1: of absolutely Belichick deserves a lot of the credit. You know, a hot take people have is he got lucky, he landed Tom Brady, and who wouldn't win with
0: Tom Brady? Well, that, I mean, look, he did get lucky getting Tom Brady. There's nobody going to deny that. Tom Brady's one of the greatest players of all time, and I love Tom Brady. I have two Super Bowl rings because of Tom Brady, but I also have two Super Bowl rings because of Bill Belichick. Look, Belichick's success is is attributed to his ability to build a culture within the organization, a culture that allows Tom Brady to be the best player he can be. And so there's really no mistaking about that. I mean, Belichick was always going to be successful. I read about it in the book. I mean, in 1996, I, the Rams should have hired Belichick, and John Shaw told me at the time, "There's no way." You know, so uh, you. But you have to recognize it, and so Kraft did recognize it. And it's hard. It's not easy. You know, it's it, it takes a lot of work to do it. He's and he did it. But you know, the one thing I will say this: when you talk about the Patriot Way, my viewpoint of it is is not because I want to personalize it or make it an ego thing, but this Patriot way really is the Browns way. It started in 91. We just couldn't finish the job. You know, we couldn't get there. We took a little time to get going, and we went to a playoff game in 1994. But when I came back to Bill in 2014, the the player personnel handbook was the same handbook we had started in 91. Uh You know, the way players were treated was, it's the same. So it's Belichick. It isn't just one way.
1: There's a great long sort of anecdote, extended anecdote, that basically opens the book or is early in your book you just referenced about your recommendation to the Rams that they hire Belichick as, as head coach. They didn't do it. Right. He had a reputation of, you know, this guy's not a winner. He had a losing not record. Not media
0: friendly more than anything. Okay.
1: Right. That was the problem. Right. Uh, And it it did make me wonder how many coaches could have been great or could be great, but they just don't land in the right situation for them. Of course, it applies to players. Like, I'm a fan, there aren't many, of Jay Cutler. I think Jay Cutler's great. I think he could have been a terrific quarterback. But, you know, you get into a tough situation, and he just never had the tools around him. I mean, one thing about Brady, you know, yet another thing that haters say, oh, he always has terrific receivers. But I think it's the inverse, and he makes any receiver terrific. But is that you know? Tell me a little bit about that. About are there some coaches out there that they just didn't get the right tools? And man, if they had landed on a different team in a different time, you know, they were just not in the right place at the right time. They could have ended up being the Bill
0: Belichick. Oh, I think there's no question there's a, a situation determines everything that we do and and so yeah I mean look Jim Schwartz I think is a great coach he was in Detroit not a great situation took him to a playoff game got right out of there you mentioned Jim Schwartz name as a head coaching candidate today people say no that's no way well the guy's a really good coach he's proven it but nobody looks past that I write about it the best thing that I ever did was that project for the Rams because I got to mention Nick Saban. He rejected that idea as well. So, you know, but I learned about coaches, and I learned what it takes to be a good leader, and I learned that coaching is leadership. It isn't about the X's and O's. We're really in a league now where we're caught up with the X's and O's. Like, if I was if I owned a team uh, and the owner said, go hire somebody to be your head coach, I'd probably try to get Dabo Sweeney to leave Clemson because I think Dabo Sweeney can build a culture. And I know building a culture is going to win in the NFL because – Twenty, because 25 other teams don't have a culture. So if I build a culture, I'm faster to be successful than anybody else.
1: It's really interesting you mentioned Dabo because I was just about to ask you when you mentioned Saban. I know you're an NFL guy, but why is it that a lot of the best college coaches can't hack it in the NFL? And I also think it's, I don't mean to imply, and I think it's wrong when people assume, that that would be the ultimate goal. That isn't everyone's goal. But Saban, Harbaugh, not all these guys can do well in the NFL, but then somehow college is right for them.
0: Because college allows them to build their culture completely. College allows them to control everything. Nobody messes with the Alabama football program. There's no booster that comes in and says, hey, Nick, you know, I think you ought to run triple option on this down. Or, you know, hey, I, I, you know, we don't. No, he's telling the boosters what he wants. In the NFL, he's got layers and layers and layers. You know, uh, it's like Frank Pantangeli said in, in The Godfather. There's a lot of layers in this business, you know. Well, there's a lot of layers in the NFL. And those layers are a lot of people that don't know anything about football. They know nothing about football, but they feel like they do because they've watched a lot of games. And so they get in the way. And so when Nick Saban wants to sign Drew Brees and can't because the team doctor said no, and Sean Payton signs him in New Orleans and history's changed, that's why Nick Saban ran back to Alabama. Mm. And that's why why coaches – now, Pete Carroll got that in Seattle. Paul Allen said, it's your ship, you run it. He hired John Schneider. Most owners won't do that. And so – Nobody interferes with Pete Carroll up there. John Schneider, they have a good partnership. They work together. But for the most part, everybody wants to have a little say in something. Everybody wants to feel a part of it. And then when you win, what people don't realize, winning's harder than losing. Because when you win, everybody wants credit now. Mm. And if you just win a little bit, everybody wants credit. And so that becomes even a bigger problem.
1: There was a recent story about that. I believe it was ESPN talking about supposedly infighting with the Pats over who really deserves the credit. You're talking about some owners are more hands-on than others. I mean, Kraft is hands-on, right? No, I
0: mean Kraft's involved. It's a you know, it's his business. I think, and I give Robert a lot of credit for the fact that he recognized after a couple years in the league that you know these other owners in the league are my competitors. Not they're my partners, but they're also my competitors. So not not everyone's looking out for my best interest here. So I'm going to trust my gut and hire this coach who I've watched work named Bill Belichick. In fact, I'm going to trade a draft pick for him because I'm going to trust my gut and trust my instinct, and it worked out for him.
1: Do you think some of that reporting on the supposed disagreements in uh, in Foxborough
0: Accurate, exaggerated. Uh, I've been married for almost thirty-five years. I think I've had a lot of. We've had a lot of disagreements, and I still love her. So I mean, you know, I think that's what, it's the same thing. You've been together with somebody for a long time. You're going to have some disagreements. I mean, come on. Like this is when this is not Hollywood. We're not Universal. It's not the back lot. You know, it's that's not like you close the door and there's no house there. You know, it's a good answer.
1: Uh, you mentioned earlier that that Walsh liked to say, you know, we're really only competing with eight teams. Uh, Parity is a, a, a hot topic in some years. I mean, especially as you said, when it's always the Pats. I mean, I sometimes feel bad for my friends who are fans of other AFC teams, you know. And it's not the Chiefs, and it's not one of the other two teams that are actually in the conversation. The Steelers, you know, maybe the Ravens are back this year, but there's some teams that are just never going to be in the conversation, never. at least in the last six or seven or eight seasons. Is that a problem? I mean, right now we've got the World Series in place. Well, we don't know if it's going to be the Dodgers or Brewers as we record this, but my Red Sox are in, and. There does seem to me to be a lot of parity in baseball recently. In the last few seasons, all kinds of new guys. The Cubs finally won. The Astros won. You've got teams that haven't been in it for ages. In the NFL, a lot of the years, I mean, you know the Pats are going to be there in the playoffs.
0: I think baseball has accumulated a better uh, ability to attract people in the industry that run front offices that have a different perspective and can change things. I think the NFL, we're slowly behind that. I don't think we've gotten there yet. I think they want to still... It's fascinating. They still want to scout the old way, right? So, like, when I first started in the National Football League, there was 16-millimeter tape. So when I put the three cans of film on Bill Walsh's desk that said they were Jerry Rice's tapes, those three cans were out of circulation for the rest of the league. Nobody was watching Jerry Rice. Today, I could sit in my office and watch any tape I want, right? I can watch any tape on any college I want. I don't have to leave my door. But the way people scout hasn't changed. The way people scout is still the same. They're still on the road. They're still going school to school. The scouts are still watching the three tapes that they get there. Wait a minute, time out. Like, this is completely wrong. But what happens is if you try to change the way we always do things, you know, you become the villain. Mm. People don't want change. And so... That's where, you know, the I call them remember when schools. Remember when we were good, you know? Remember when we were good? Because, you know, Don Shula, we never did this with John Shula was here. We were good there. Remember when we were good there? If you're not if you're not willing to change, you're never gonna get any better. Mm.
1: Let's talk more about the book. Uh, you've got some sort of some parts that are almost like a formal recipe. I think these are the tenets of leadership, these are the things that work well. Then there are other parts that are very personal anecdotes that I think work really nicely. I mentioned the one about interviewing with St. Louis and preparing this really long document for them that was in great detail. I remember well when you say that it, he scanned it quickly with his eyes and it, it was like something I had spent three weeks working on and uh, took him five months. seconds to read. Yeah, there you go. Um, what well, is another I anecdote from the book this is a, like? I,
0: I didn't put this in the book as the book came out. So my wife and I are in Los Angeles. We were living in Los Angeles at the time the book was done. It, it was uh, just uh, the, the manuscript was approved. Everything was going. So I'm at a restaurant in Los Angeles and it's called, it's called Toscano's. I'll give him a plug. Great Italian restaurant, one of my favorite Italian restaurants in the world. And so we're sitting there, and Al Michaels goes there four nights a week consistently. He loves the place, okay, as much as I do. So this one night we're in there, it's a Saturday night, my wife and I go in there, and Al's in his back table with his back to the wall. Like he's like, he is like Frank Pantangeli. He's back's to the wall, and I go over to him and pay my respects to the Godfather. And at the table is John Shaw and another guy. And I'm thinking, oh my God, should I tell Shaw about the book? Should I? And and after the opening conversation, when he really didn't remember who I was, I felt like, well, there's no sense of talking about the book. He's not even going to remember <laughs> who I did the project for him.
1: <laughs> wow, that's very funny. Yeah, and uh, you say he didn't remember who I was. I mean, but you say Lombardi. And,
0: and well, he said, you know, you lost know a lot of weight. You know, like I'm like, no, I'm still a fat guy. You know. Oh. <laughs> uh,
1: what is something else in the book, a, a personal uh, story that you share that that you
0: enjoy? I always love telling Bill Wall stories because they're so powerful, like those three can of tapes that, that I put on his desk. He he was in a we were in a hotel room. We were playing the Houston Oilers and I was in my hotel room and I get up, my phone rings in the room. No cell phones then. And he says, come up to the room. And I thought, oh, God, I'm in trouble. What did I do now? So and and even when I talk about him today, my hands still sweat. So I go up to the room. I'm sweaty. You know, I go in there and he says, and he's watching the TV, and and Dan, you're too young to remember, but the, these TVs in these hotel suites had these long, like they're just a the picture was in the middle, and then like the the like the speakers were on the uh, side. It was uh-huh. these long televisions, you know? So I'm in there, and he says, "You see this this kid Rice? Get me every tape you can on this kid, because they were playing Texas Southern that day, uh-huh. and it was on TV." So I go back and I call Mississippi Valley State. And at the end of the year, they send me three cans of tape. And I take them up there and I put them on Bill's desk. And and now this is February, right? So March comes, the draft's in April. April comes. And my phone's ringing off the wall from Mississippi Valley State saying, get those tapes. We need those tapes back. Teams are calling me. Can you send those tapes? I'm too scared to go ask Bill <laughs> if I could. Get... So one day I pass him in the hall and I muster enough courage. I say, Coach, Can I get those Mississippi Valley? Are you done with those tapes yet? Oh, yeah, Michael, just go get them off my desk. So I go up to his desk, and there they sat on his desk, and he had a note attached to them. It said, John Jefferson, dot, 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 with speed. Now, John Jefferson in 1985 was the quintessential great receiver in the NFL. He could catch. He was Beckham before Beckham. He had great hands, runs great routes. So that was a huge compliment. But then when he put the dot, dot, dot with Uh speed, That separated them, you know, and I thought, God, if I was such an idiot, if I saved that note, I could have been so much better.
1: (laughs) With speed. With speed, yes. Wow. You know, I want to ask you, there are so many specific memories about working with, you know, titans of the NFL, guys that ever knows, both executives and coaches. When you went about writing this book— Did you talk to them? Did you worry about, you know, do they want that anecdote out there? I mean, there's nothing sort of, like, embarrassing per se. But No, I
0: I never – actually, I never discussed the book with Belichick. He wrote the forward for him. I didn't Mm -hmm. send him anything to to proofread. I didn't think I needed to because I think the book deserves – the praise that I give him because of his greatness. And people could say, well, you're Bill's friend, you're a homer. Well, I don't apologize for that. I mean, I learned a lot of football from Bill Belichick. I learned a lot about leadership from Bill Belichick, and I thought this was a way to teach the lessons that I learned to other people. This book for me is about the guy coaching high school volleyball as much as it is for anybody who coaches football. This book for me is about a young investor on Wall Street who wants to learn and grow. This book for me is about leadership. This is about culture. This isn't just a sports book. That's why I wrote it.
1: Having worked with so many teams, we're talking a lot about executives and coaches. Who are some players that stand out that impressed you that you got to work with? I mean, maybe there was less of that, but some guys that stick out. I mean, Ronnie
0: Lott was incredible competitor. Mm, Ronnie, Lott, yeah. Ronnie Lott was the most incredible competitor I've ever seen. Joe Montana quiet, just did a, went about his job. Uh, you know, remarkable how he handled himself. Uh, Rich Gannon at the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders facility is right next to the airport, and he used to get so pissed off all the time, he used to throw balls into the airport runway. I mean, the, the, the Oakland Airport must have 100 footballs over there because he got pissed off at the way we were practicing. So it's, you know, it's players that, that you know that one thing I've been around, no good organization, no good team doesn't like each other. There's always camaraderie amongst that. And I think when I was with the 49ers and I returned to the to the Patriots with Bill, those teams really liked each other. So some of those players were just incredible to me as a young guy, to me as an old. Julian Edelman is one of my favorite players of the yeah. Patriots. I mean, just to, yep. always asking, what can I do better? do you watch practice? What do I do better? I love that. Mm.
1: Uh, I'm so glad you mentioned the Raiders. I would have forgotten to ask you about that. But having worked with Al Davis, uh, you know, you watch what they're doing now in terms of Vegas. And uh, I would just love your take on that. You know, a lot of people thought it would never happen.
0: Al Al had birthday parties every five years and they were always in Vegas. So he loved Vegas. He loved restaurants in Vegas. He loved entertainment in Vegas. I don't know if he would like his team in Vegas, mm. but the money in Vegas and the deals that the, that the team's getting is there. I, I'm not sure he would agree with paying a coach $10 million a year. That wasn't oh, what Al was not about. Even,
1: not even to mention the Gruden stuff, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, that. there's no way. Nor would he allow the coach to have the complete autonomy to run the organization. I mean, he felt there should be a Republican House and a Democratic Senate. You know, mm. He wanted to make sure there was some way to balance off some things. He liked— in fighting within his organization because why? He became the decision maker. He became the final vote. So, you know, when you wanna have a role, make sure your organization is fighting with each other because then you have the the final vote.
1: What about just, you know, Mark Davis moving the team to Vegas? What does that mean for the NFL having a team in Las Vegas? I think it's
0: great. I think look we have to stop burying our head in the stands about this gambling thing. I mean it's ridiculous. It's you know, football is a game that is is passionate, fans love it. They love the it's like fantasy football. You know, that's what popularized the game. Fantasy makes it even better. I think it's gonna be great. I think it's a great venue. I my first job was in UNLV. I so saw I know Vegas and sense that Vegas is a town that doesn't really have its roots in a particular team. So I could see when the Raiders play the Bears in Las Vegas, they'll be half the stadium be filled with Bears fans. Mm. I could see it being filled with Bronco fans. I mean, I think it's going to be a great venue for a melting pot of the NFL. They hope.
1: They hope it's half full and not empty. <laughs> oh no, it'll be full.
0: You th- cuz look, let's face it, all those the casinos, you know, they're going to give t- they're going to buy tickets to send it to their clients. Right, hospitality. And if you don't you know, you'll be in the end zone if you don't bet enough on, on if you don't play enough poker, but right. you're going to be there.
1: <laughs> uh let's end on this, Mike. I love talking so much about how the Changing consumption of live sports has affected the big leagues, you know. We, we talk about ratings, and last year at the NFL, everyone focused on the politics, but really, ratings are dipping overall for all live sports. I mean, across the board. Uh, the NBA seems to be an interesting exception. But, you know, people are changing the way they watch live sports. There's also more distractions than ever before. You know, on a Thursday night, do you want to watch the NFL game, or do you want to watch Netflix, or Amazon Prime, or Hulu, or something else? Uh, all of this is going to have a profound impact on the big leagues and on broadcast rights. Is this something that the team owners and
0: executives are thinking of enough, do you think? Yeah, I think they are. I I think there's a way to measure it i think it's going to be spanning across more platforms and i think the the look the one thing you can get when you get the nfl is you deliver a certain rating that that they've not been able to figure out in hollywood on a tv show and as long as the nfl delivers that in powerful rating they're going to carry a lot of clout
1: all right thanks so much mike lombardi the book is gridiron genius
0: thanks mike thank you dan
1: all right. And as always, we love for you to rate, review, and subscribe to Yahoo Finance Sportsbook podcast. We come out every Thursday morning and we'll continue doing it
0: with more great guests. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.